0: Uh, He was writing to kind of encourage them to continue to stand strong, and he was going to kind of teach them how to do that. Now, today, James is going to talk about wisdom, okay, and basically the difference between uh, false wisdom and true wisdom, uh, and he wants to talk about how easy it is for for churches and believers to drift away from God and get involved in wisdom of the world that really, you know, really doesn't help us at all. (laughs) It actually does more damage than good. Uh, But the title of today's message um, is, Who is Wise?, now, I, I'm, I'm excited about this message because there is so much in here, and I don't know what you think, but when you hear the stuff that's going on in this country, the people are, I mean, very confused. Wisdom is not a word that comes to my mind, um, but if there's ever been a need for real wisdom, for people to put their feet down and, and on something strong, it's now. And it's, it now is the time for that. So let's jump straight in. Uh, James, we're going to start in verse 13. And he says, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. Now, when you read this chapter in the the original language, in the Greek, a lot in these few verses don't completely line up. And so we're going to look at a lot of that today. But what did he mean when he said, who among you is wise and understanding? Okay, what did he actually mean by that? See, when James said that, he was referring to godly wisdom. That's another term for godly wisdom. He meant godly wisdom, like love, is proven by our action, not just by our words. There's a lot of people who claim to be wise, but your wisdom will play out if you live it, right? And we know that because look how he followed up in the second part of 13. He said, let him what? Show Show by his good behavior. Let him show by his good behavior. Okay, I love that. And it says, "I, I just feel like godly wisdom is the wisdom that, directs our life and when we allow ourselves to be partakers in godly wisdom uh it'll teach us how to be pleasing to god which is the goal being pleasing to god right and that's what it that's what it teaches us so those who understand and embrace god's wisdom they're going to do what god asks that's that's how it works you're allowing him to guide your life and doing what god asks will make you reflect his love and his mercy and his grace to other people so it's very, very important. Now, the Greek word here for behavior, it says, let it be uh, uh, show by his good behavior, uh, is anastrophe, and it means conduct or manner of life. Okay, and what's interesting here is it should be better translated lifestyle, not behavior. Okay, which takes on a little bit different meaning. So verse 13 more accurately would translate, if you uh, translate it the way it should be, it would say, who among you is wise and understanding? Let their lifestyle... And humility prove their spiritual wisdom. That's how it reads in the Greek. Now, I know a lot of people who are very intelligent in the scriptures. They know what the, what the Bible says. I, I know a lot of people like that. Uh, and some of them even have good understanding, right? But it takes more than that, right? Because some of those people are condescending, and they're know-it-alls, and they, you know, reveal that they have a real lack of humility, Okay, and I've known a ton of them like that. We talked about last week going to those pastor's conferences. Listen, one of the best things you can do as a pastor, if you want to grow and you're a young pastor, is stay away from pastor's conferences (laughs) because that's like uh, what you don't want to be most of the time, right? But you'll go down there and see some of the most condescending people. I mean, they're wise, but they want to prove their wisdom, not through their love and their good deeds and their gentleness and meekness, Uh, But by condescending other people and talking down to other people and judging other people And so those people come across as unapproachable smart alecks that people just avoid Right, that's what happens when you have that kind of wisdom But if they're going to be like jesus Jesus was very humble and very approachable I never understood why preachers want to talk down to people I never understood why they were judging people I never understood why you want to use the biggest words you can so that everyone in there knows that you've studied you know what I mean? But then everybody leaves completely confused. I don't understand that. Listen, Jesus was humble. Listen to what he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. That means burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right now, if you want people to receive what you're sharing about God, you need to do it the way Jesus did. Bring what you understand to them in your love and your actions. Let them see who you are before you tell them who you are. If you're living the way God wants you to live, if you have godly wisdom dictating your life, you won't have to tell them. They'll know something's different about you. And I've said this many times, but people are watching how we behave. We're watching how we conduct ourselves. That's just, just the way it is. And even more importantly, I think we too often forget that God is always watching He's always watching. Sometimes, and I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but we're all kind of hypocritical at times. You know what I mean? But we think if people don't see that other side of us, it's like a tree falling in the woods. If no one hears it, did it happen? You know what I mean? That's kind of the same mentality we take. But God hears everything. And I don't know why we don't realize that. I love what the psalmist said about this. Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. He said, O Lord, you have searched me, and what? And know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. That's kind of scary when you think about it, isn't it? Because there are times that someone makes us mad and we may not even say it, but we think it. You know what I mean? Have you ever had that thought go through your mind? Realize God hears it, even if it's not spoken, right? So he knows everything about us. I think a lot of times we forget that. See, there's two kinds of wisdom that result in two different outcomes from God. One results in his blessing, and one results in his discipline, Okay, and the two kinds of wisdom are godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. And we're going to take a look at this. But when he was talking about gentleness and meekness in your works, he was talking about godly wisdom. Now, in verses 14 through 16, we'll come back to the godly wisdom. Uh, James describes, you know, what worldly wisdom looks like. And he does so in great detail. We're going to take a look at a lot of stuff here, starting in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, what? Demonic. Demonic. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Okay, so there's two things that James described that identify worldly wisdom. Okay, and the first one is bitter jealousy. Have you ever known someone who's just a jealous person? Raise your hand if you guys know somebody who's a jealous person. They can't be happy for anybody, you know what I mean? They're just a jealous person. And jealousy is a cancer, okay? But the first thing he talks about here is bitter jealousy. And bitter comes from the Greek word pikros, and it means resentful. This is a resentful jealousy, and jealousy comes from the Greek word zelos, which means envious. So this basically is when someone desires what someone else has and is angry with them because they have it and we don't. That's what that's what that means to be bitterly jealous. I'm not only jealous that I, I don't have something Dave has, I'm mad at him because he's got it and I don't have it. That is bitter jealousy. And when that gets in a church, it will destroy it. People always coveting each other's positions and coveting, oh, it's just unreal. When that gets in a church, it destroys it. Now, the second thing is selfish ambition. Okay, And selfish ambition is from the Greek word. Now, this is a big one. It's eritheia. And it means selfish and rivalrous ambition. Okay, selfish and rivalrous ambition. Basically, it means to have aspirations and goals that are all or only about you. Okay, all or only about you. That's what selfish ambition is. Basically, I mean, intentionally or not, that mindset is in a lot of us. You know, and and it's how we're kind of raised, isn't it? If you think about it, we kind of pass that selfish ambition to our children, and I mean, I'm not saying we're trying to make them selfish, but I think we pass it on without thinking because we kind of bought into some of the worldly uh, wisdom. When we talk about our kids' future, we usually focus on either how much money they're going to make or how much power they'll have when they get older. That's what we talk about. Well, you should think about being a doctor, you'll make a ton of money. You should think about being a lawyer, they get a ton of money. You know, you should think about maybe being in Congress... No, nobody says that. But anyway, (laughs) nobody says that. But um, we teach, we kind of grind that into their head. We teach them that if they make enough money and have enough power and get enough things, then they'll be successful. And the only way to have happiness is to have that kind of success, money, power, things. Have you watched the commercials on TV? I mean, it's tough to watch them. But when you watch them it's always telling you you need something you don't you notice that and now this sounds terrible but i'm 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 starting to think amazon is from the devil because you can be scrolling through amazon and go you know i do need a folding chair that wads up into the size of a football (laughs) that's something every man should have and you buy it Because one click and you buy it. I fell asleep one night at a softball tournament looking at Amazon. I woke up and I ordered a wallet that was RFID, you know, proof. And it comes in the mail and I'm like, oh, I bought something subconsciously. I don't even remember doing it. It's just too easy, right? It's just too easy. But we teach them that's what makes happiness. That's what makes people happy. And what they find out later is you can have all the money in the world, all the things in the world, all the power in the world, and it does not bring happiness. It doesn't. Now, what we should be teaching them is something totally different. We should be teaching them what real success is. Hey, it's not just about money. It's not just about things. Real success is having a close, personal walk with Jesus. Trusting Jesus to guide your path every day of your life. That's what we should be teaching them. You should be more proud of their Sunday school projects than you are anything they bring home from school because, you know what, what they bring home from school is good. Be proud of them. It's not going to get them to heaven. You know what I mean? The most important thing we can teach our children is about Jesus. We need to teach them to pray so that God will show them His will for their life, not give them a will that we've designed for them somehow. As a softball coach, I see parents all the time who want their kids to play in certain colleges so they can brag to their buddies. Not because they want what's best for the kid, they want to have bragging rights for their buddies. And we put this thought in our mind that here's what will be successful for our kids. And, and you know, it can really damage them because, they, you know, they believe you. So later in life, they don't feel like if they don't achieve those things, they're not successful and you don't love them like you should. Right? But when you teach those kids that, listen, make God an intricate part of your life, pray about every decision. And when you do, you'll find out what happiness is. You'll find out what contentment is. Now, next he basically says there's no denying the truth about worldly wisdom. That's basically what he's about to say. Look at this, James 3, 14b. He says, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Okay, so basically, don't be so arrogant as to believe that it's acceptable for Christians to have selfish ambition. Don't lie to yourself and think it's okay for Christians to have bitter jealousy. It's not. I heard someone one time say there is godly jealousy. Yeah, I paused too. I'm like, I got to know how. I got to know. You know, there's no such thing. Jealousy will destroy you, you know. And he's saying don't kid yourself by thinking it's okay. Don't think those attitudes are all right. Now, evidently, some of the people back then were making light of having selfish ambitions, uh, you know, or or a jealous attitude. And what they're probably saying is what I hear all the time. Oh, everybody's got jealousies. Well, that's not a reason to embrace it. You know, everybody has selfish ambitions. Well, that's not a reason to embrace it. We're told plainly here that we're not supposed to do that, right? So they must have forgotten something here. And that's why James had to remind them. They must have forgotten that James is the half-brother of Jesus, right? He was the half-brother and follower of Jesus. And he's saying, don't try to sell it to me that he's okay with that. I'm his half-brother. I was raised with him. I know what he's okay with, and he's not okay with that. That's what he was saying. And he knew one thing about Jesus that everybody seemed to forget by that time. Jesus was the Son of God, all God and all man, yet he comes to earth to serve, not to be served. So how can we say it's godly for us to make plans that are selfish and all about us when the creator of the universe came to serve others? That was his goal. Look at this, Matthew 20, starting in verse 25. He said, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lord over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, that's a messianic title, meaning about the Messiah. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, I don't know how you can read that and come up with the fact that it's okay to have selfish ambitions. It's okay to be jealous. I don't, I don't get that. And I'll tell you, one of the biggest ways, and I'm going to read this entire thing to you because it's so important, um, but i tell you, one of the biggest things that impressed me about Christ's earthly ministry, other than obviously dying for my sin and, you know, being resurrected, was the fact that he was so humble that he knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew that. But he still served him anyway. Okay, take a look at this. John 13, starting in verse 1 says before the passover celebration Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end it was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas son of Simon Iscariot to betray Jesus Jesus knew the, that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had to come uh, from god and would return to god so he got up from the table took off his robe and wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now let me stop for just one second. This is the Son of God. Okay, the creator of the universe. The Bible tells us everything that exists, exists because of him. He was even the creative influence in the Trinity. And yet, he wraps this towel around him like a servant, because servants would wash guests' feet when they came in the home. And he washes his feet, disciples feet now you know speaking of feet peter's foot is usually in his mouth and he has something to say here verse six when jesus came to simon peter peter said to him lord are you going to wash my feet so basically he's going you can't wash my feet you're god right jesus replied you don't understand now what i'm doing but someday you will no peter protested you will never ever wash my feet jesus replied unless i wash you you won't belong to me Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands, my head, and my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Oh, man, poor Peter. I feel him, though. Anyway, so he's like, there's no way you're going to wash me. And he's saying, listen, this is, this is a way for me to identify with you. This is a way you can identify with me. If you don't allow me to wash your feet, you're saying you don't want any part with me. He's going, okay, then wash all of me. Sponge bath, Lord, you know what I mean? He just jumped into it. I, I love that. Right, Jesus replied, a person who has, uh, starting in verse 10, Jesus replied, a person who has uh, bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. Okay, you know who he was talking about there? Judas. Verse 11. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put his robe uh, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, notice they're capitalized, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. Now what he's saying there, he's not saying that every time we walk in the door, you guys got to whip your shoes off. That's not what he's saying. You know, what he is saying is that you should be willing to serve each other. That was the act of a servant. Washing each other's feet. He's saying you should be willing to serve each other. Verse 15, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now you know these things. God will bless you for doing them. So basically he's saying, if I came to serve, if I'm humble enough to bow down and wash your feet like a common servant, if I can show that kind of love to you, how... Can you not show that kind of love to each other? How can you make anything about you when your Savior made everything about you already? He made everything about us. We don't need to be looking out for ourselves. He is already. And he's better at looking out for us than we are. Okay, that's that's what he's trying to tell him here. So he didn't see any room for selfish ambition there. I love that. I love, you'll never see Jesus say, you better get yours. (laughs) You're never going to see that anywhere in the Scripture. Then Jesus kind of drops this reality bomb on him in verse 15. Look at this. He says, Then uh, this wisdom is not that which which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. Okay? So when he's talking about false wisdom, you know, the wisdom that says it's good to have selfish ambitions and to have bitter jealousies, he's saying that is not the wisdom that comes from God. It's earthly, natural, demonic. Right? And then he basically says, you know, worldly wisdom which means jealousy and selfish ambition, that's the context, can never be spiritual. You can never find a way to make either of those spiritual, and as long as those are prevalent in your life, you're not going to be spiritual either. Because true wisdom is from above, and that means directed from God himself. And how do we get that wisdom? Through his word. Through his word. See, now, God's wisdom actually tells us the polar opposite. He says, avoid selfish ambition that same selfish ambition we're passing on to our kids go on and get yours be successful be rich have everything he's saying no love each other serve each other love god and do what he asks you to do he didn't like either one of those he knew they were both destructive true wisdom is is surrendering to god not the world and surrendering what he wants for our lives not what the world wants for our lives if you watch tv you will never have enough do you know that you will never, how many times have people saw, saw a new car come out on TV? Your car might be two years old, 20,000 miles, and you're going, we need that. Anybody ever do that? You know, and you watch, or you watch TV, and, and you're sitting in perfectly good furniture, and they show somebody come in, in this nice modern furniture, and all they all look cool, and you know. You're going, we need new furniture. It's funny how the world just sucks us in. What the enemy's hoping to do is to get us so in debt That we don't have time to think about anything, let alone God. We have to work to pay everything off because that's what success is, right? That's not wisdom. Wisdom is doing what God wants for your life. That's where you get happiness. There are so many people who have missed their entire life working to be happy when they had children at home that could have made them happy had they stayed home with them. You see what I mean? Frustrated. I could preach forever on that. Don't even get me started, okay? Then James reminded him that bitter jealousies and selfish ambition is earthly. And what that means in our terms, you know when we say worldly, like the world, or a product of a godless mindset, that's what he's talking about when he says it's earthly. Okay. Then James, I love this, he even starts to say, he said jealousy and selfish ambition are actually demonic. Have you ever thought about that? That means that when you're teaching your kids, and when you believe yourself that the one who dies with the most toys wins, and that true happiness comes from what you can attain with money or how much money you have in the bank. He says that's demonic. Thinking about yourself is not thinking like God. It's thinking like the enemy. He says it's demonic. Can you imagine the look on their face? Because some of them struggle with that. His own disciples struggled with that. Remember, James and John snuck up to him. See, you know, Peter wasn't the only one who did stupid stuff. James and John comes up to him with their mommy. Grown men. And she's like, make my boys the special ones in heaven with you. (laughs) I would have never let my mom do that, you know? How embarrassing is that? But they were already trying to have selfish ambition, and who was pushing it? Mommy. Even back then, they were pushing that, right? So James says, no, that, that stuff is demonic. Remember, the world we live in is under the control of the enemy, Satan. The Bible says that he is the prince and the power of the air. The Bible says he is the God, small g, of this present age. Now, when people hear that, they say, so are you saying that he's more powerful than God here? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is he knows what happens to him in the end. So this is his time, and this is his sphere of influence. Where we are right now on earth, that's his sphere of influence. Because we have free will, because we have the ability to choose, he's trying his best to give us all he can to choose other than God. That's what he's trying his best to do, right? Now, the enemy knows that jealousy and selfish ambition are the polar opposite of a godly attitude, and he knows the easiest way. Both of those, jealousy and selfish ambition, both of those are about having things, right? But here's what I don't think we realize. The devil knows that if he can make us discontent, we probably will not seek God. And one of the, I mean, the byproducts of discontentment are jealousy and selfish ambition, Wanting what other people have. That's, what, that's exactly what it is. So when you fall into that trap of discontentment, you're actually falling under demonic influence. Discontentment is a demonic influence. Because think about this. When you look around at what you don't have, are you thanking God for anything you do? Anything you do have? If you have never done a mission to an impoverished country, you should at least once. And you can see that there are people who are happy Living with banana leaves as their roof, and they're happy. Living with, you know, thin, tin walls, you can see the light when you drive by through them, little shanties, and have three or four kids living in there with them, but they're singing praise songs, and they're happy. And it makes you really think how deceived we are in this country. It really makes you think. And so you can see that we've fallen under this demonic influence. But then the next thing he tells us is that demonic influence. Whether it be in people or churches, it's going to inevitably manifest itself. You can't keep those things down. Look at this, James 3.16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Now this is interesting because disorder and every evil thing are both manifestations of that evil influence, right? And I have witnessed selfish ambition and bitter jealousy in believers and churches all over the place. I've seen it so many times. I've witnessed this time and time Again. And when those attitudes are present in either a church or in a person, confusion reigns supreme. Sin reigns supreme. It's just what happens when those are present in the life of a church or a person. That's what happens. And even even the things we do and the places we go start to change when we drift away from God's wisdom. When we allow the world to be our source of wisdom, we start drifting from God. And you can even see it in the things you do. Every evil thing, the thing in that sentence In in the Greek is the word pragma, and pragma, is used as it's used here, is translated event or happening. So there's every kind of confusion, and you're even going to places that are evil. That's what he's trying to say. Places you probably wouldn't have gone, and this is talking to believers. So don't think this is pompous and talking about unbelievers. This is believers. When believers get away from God's wisdom, they'll find themselves going places, saying things, and doing things they never did before until one day they wake up and realize how far they've drifted from God, look in the mirror, and they don't even recognize who they see looking back at them because they've lost their real identity, child of God. Now, are they still saved? Yes, but they've lost that closeness. And it's sad when that happens in people's lives, and I've I've witnessed it many, many, many times. Now he's going to more positive. Now he's going to finish up kind of talking about... Uh, what godly wisdom looks like. So let's look at verse 17. It says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy uh, and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, now, in 17 and 18, James described what wisdom from above is. And wisdom from above is just godly wisdom. And he goes into great detail. Now, it's important to remember, James was writing to Jewish believers and their churches. So this is a letter to both churches and individuals, right? So the attitudes described here, they, they, they apply both personally and corporately. And he's saying that where these attitudes are present, wisdom is from above is, is present also. Where those things he just mentioned, and we'll take a close look at those here in a minute. But as we look at these attitudes James described, remember... This, kind of, this is kind of a litmus test for us, what he's about to tell us. If these attitudes aren't present in your life, there's a problem. You need to do something. If these attitudes aren't present in your church, you need to do something, right? Because both of them will be ineffective, your life and the church. Now, I'm going to warn you, I'm about to Greek you to death, because I have to to make this make sense. So, sorry about that. Not really, but I've got to say that. Okay, so he describes seven specific things that, about wisdom from above, or godly wisdom. Okay, first he said godly wisdom is pure, it's pure, and that's from the Greek word "hagnos," and it means without defect. It means without defect, and godly wisdom is without the defects of what we just talked about. Godly wisdom doesn't have selfish ambition. It doesn't have that. It doesn't have jealousy, right? Uh, and when people or churches uh, to—I mean fail to recognize that and allow that in, it destroys it, but when churches have godly wisdom, they don't let the world pollute them, they're still pure. That means you're staying away from the world. You're not letting them influence you. He's saying godly wisdom stays away from the influence of the world. Now, am I telling you to build a compound and hide? No. I'm just saying, when you watch TV, don't think you have to have everything they have. Don't believe the lie that if you don't have more toys, you lose. Don't believe the lie that if you don't have more money, you lose. Don't buy into their judgment and their philosophies and their prejudices. Don't buy into that. Stay unstained from that and focus on God. That's what he's trying to say here uh, when he talks about how pure it is, right? And here's the thing you have to remember. Staying apart from the world doesn't happen organically. I remember when I first got saved, the pastor made it sound like as soon as I got saved, I just wasn't going to want to sin anymore. You know, I was going to do right things, make right choices. I was always going to be pleasing to God, and I found out in about six hours that wasn't true, you know? Because you have to work at keeping yourself away from the world. It doesn't happen easily. You have to work on it. And I don't know if you guys have ever had the epiphany, gosh, I watch a ton of TV and I hardly ever read. Has that ever hit anybody? You know, or I watch a ton of sports. Those crazy people, (laughs) you know. But I don't read much. That's one of those things that pops into your head. It doesn't happen organically. You have to to work to stay away from the world. Now, the second thing he mentions here, godly wisdom is peaceable. And this is from the Greek word erinikos. And erinikos, as it's used here, means... uh, to pursue or embrace peace and unity. To pursue or embrace peace and unity. I'll tell you what, in life or in the church, peace and unity are a sign of a healthy faith or a healthy congregation. But if you've ever been to a church where there's disunity, it is terrible. When they have factions, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, I know I've been a part of one before, but I mean, they have factions against each other. There's always plays, power moves, someone trying to get control of this and get in control of that. And, I mean, it, it's terrible when you see that happening in a church. And when you see it happening in someone's life, you know the person who's always, always stirring up the pot? Everybody has one in their family, don't they? Everybody has the pot stirrer, right? The one who loves to find trouble and go to their friends and go, Now, I'm just going to tell you this. Because it's wrong to gossip. This isn't gossiping. This is me venting. But I think she's seeing somebody else. I'm just saying. You know what I mean? (laughs) Everybody has one of those. You let that stuff get in your life, it will absolutely destroy you. We should be looking for ways to seek peace and unity. When there's a rift in your family, find a way to fix it. Right? Or at least find a way to forgive the person. Right, we should be trying to unify. That's what Christ did. He unified. He didn't. He didn't divide people. And I don't know if it's just me, but are we living in the most de- divisive era ever. You guys think so? It drives me insane. And, and when you watch TV, the politics and stuff is making it worse. So I don't watch it. I don't watch the news anymore. Anyway, another sermon. So the third thing he says, is, godly wisdom is gentle. And this is from the Greek word epaikas. And epa-a-case, uh is used here uh, as it's used here, literally means kind and tolerant. Wow. I haven't seen a ton of kindness and tolerance anymore, Of you? That's godly wisdom. When you're kind and tolerant, which means I probably shouldn't yell at people at four-way stops, I mean, I guess. But is it just me or is that the intelligence test of the world, four-way stops? I could preach on that. I really could. You pull up and there's three people sitting there and they all look at you and go, I'm like, you're not being nice, you're messing the whole system up. I just want to get out and say, who got here first? Then you go, read your manual. Let me get back to being peaceful and unified over here. Okay? Just saying. Right? But anyway, it means to be kind and to be tolerant. You know what I mean? Because a lot of times I think believers and churches uh, are not that loving. We're kind of exclusive. And man, are we quick to judge. I mean, are we quick to judge? When I was a kid, it used to make me so mad how they'd look at me. You know the up and down judgmental look they give you? You guys know when they go? When they're talking to you? And the whole, So I would wear fingerless gloves, Iron Maiden t-shirts. I mean, I would parachute pants. When I went in there, I wanted them. To, you want something to talk about? Take a look. Here you go. I want them to have something to talk about. Christians have a, have a tendency to be that way, and that's not how God was. They, they must have forgotten how God showered them with grace and tolerance by accepting them as who they were, giving them eternal life, and rebuilding their lives. I, I guess they just forgot about all that. Okay, the fourth thing he says is godly wisdom is reasonable. It's from the Greek word eupetes. And eupetes, as it's used here, means obedient and willing to yield. Oh, Lord. Willing to yield. Like it's not hard enough to find people who want to be obedient to God. That's hard enough. But willing to yield? That means you're obedient, you're willing to yield to God. Let your way not be as important as His way. Surrender your ways for His ways. Willing to yield, that's one we struggle with. And yielding is not something believers are good at. And if you don't believe me, sit in on an elder meeting sometime. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I'm, I'm, everybody wants their way. It's just the way it is. But it says godly wisdom is willing to yield. It says godly wisdom uh, is full of mercy and good fruits. This means merciful and, and loving to people and loving to serve God. That's what that means. That's pretty self-explanatory. The sixth thing, godly wisdom is unwavering. And this is pretty interesting. This is from the Greek word, uh, uh, let me see if I can even pronounce this, adiakritos. And adiakritos literally means impartial or free from prejudice. I've been so excited to get to this one because I've been dying to say this so all the rednecks will hear it. You cannot be righteous and be prejudiced. You can't be godly and be prejudiced. You can't judge someone by their skin or their nationality or their gender, you can't do that and be righteous. It's impossible. You can't look at other people and judge them for their sin when you have sin in your own life. You know what I mean? We are supposed to show the love of Christ. You know who the judge is? They crucified him. He's coming back. His name's Jesus. That's the one who judges. We don't judge anybody. So if you are prejudiced, I'm literally, I have had conversations with people tried to tell me that racism was a God concept. And I'm like, oh, I'm dying to see you prove that. Please prove that. But I'm here to tell you, you cannot be prejudiced. You cannot do it and be spiritual. It cannot happen. Okay? And I love, I love this. He says, without hypocrisy, godly wisdom is without hypocrisy. And uh, that, that phrase, without hypocrisy, from the Greek is a nipokritos, and a nipokritos simply translates to genuine and sincere. So godly wisdom is legit, it's genuine, it's sincere. People aren't stupid. You can be in a church for a week and know if they're genuine or not. You can tell if they're actually sincere or not. I was talking to a lady the other day, she'd been going to the same church for 10 years, and her pastor doesn't know who she is. Now I get it, it's a big church. But you'd think in 10 years they'd have crossed has once or twice you'd think yeah i mean but a lot of times here's the thing i'm not against big churches i'm not against small churches i love all churches as long as you're teaching the truth but here's the deal sometimes you can tell if a church is more about money you can tell if a church is more about you know pride and more about you know trying to have the nice things and trying to be the in church and you can you can tell you can tell if people aren't a big deal a pastor literally said this I, i i don't know why i'm telling you this but i'm gonna There was a pastor who people felt he was disengaged. So someone went and talked to him and said, "You know, I I feel like you're kind of unapproachable." And he said, "Oh yeah, that's not my gift. I'm not good with people." I'm like, "That's like a surgeon saying he doesn't like blood." I mean, I mean, you're in the wrong line of work, homie. Anyway, (laughs) just saying. So you know, people can tell when when Christians aren't sincere. They can they can tell when they're not sincere because they act righteous but they probably see them at work have you ever met the person that's lifting their hands in church and singing praise and at work cussing out the maintenance man and they see that and they go not genuine people are watching and they see those things true godly wisdom has no hypocrisy you are who you are i've always told people if the person you see in the pulpit isn't the same one you talk to at walmart i'm failing right i'm failing first of all i was probably trying to hide at walmart and you caught me anyway no i'm just kidding but if it's a different person than who you meet at Walmart, then, then, then i fail. failed. And I love how he closes this section. He said, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is not translated very well. Is it just me or does that sound really garbled up? Okay, if you look at that in the Greek, it means something totally different, right? Basically, it means that those who possess those seven attributes will do all he can to please God and to make peace. And like the farmer who plants seed... When a farmer plants corn, they expect what to come up? Corn. Corn. See, I'm learning this farming thing. Just saying. You don't plant corn and expect avocados. I don't even know what those things grow on. I think trees. But you don't plant it and expect to see that, right? You can't plant bitterness and hypocrisy and prejudice and expect it to come up godly. But when you are pursuing peace and love and unity and when you are trying to share Jesus with people and the seeds you're dropping are godly wisdom and you're trying to draw people in through the word of God, then there's going to be a harvest of righteousness coming someday when God will be honored by every seed planted. That's what he's trying to say there. So I know that's a lot, but I'm telling you, that was a a powerful section and it really makes you take a look at yourself. I'm going to go ahead and close it. I'm going to ask if you would, please bow your heads. If this is your first time, I always like to give an invitation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, or maybe you just need prayer. I'm nobody's judge. But if you just want me to pray for you, make eye contact with me, lift your hand, anything, I'll bless those people, and I will pray for you, and I really do. Bless those people. Bless those people. If God is speaking to you, it's time to listen. You know, I've never witnessed anyone leave this world not concerned about God. It's better to enjoy your life with Him than wait to the last second. I'm also going to pray for all the believers. I do that every week. So let's, let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do. We thank you for your love and your, and your grace, your patience with us. We're so thankful that we are not believers because of what we do, but because of what we believe. We couldn't be righteous. We proved that. So you sent your son to pay the debt of sin so that when we believe in him, his righteousness is applied to us. God, I just pray that if no someone here hasn't done that or watching or listening hasn't done that, if they just would believe what Jesus did was enough, your word guarantees them eternal life. I know there's religion that confuses that message. I just wanted to push it out of their mind. Your word says he who believes has eternal life. And if they make that decision, I just pray they contact us. But for those of us who are believers, God, this world is going crazy. And we love to complain and argue. Let us take that same passion that we use to complain about the government and argue. And put it into godly wisdom, where we can plant seeds of righteousness by sharing you with everyone we know, humbly, loving them, serving them, so that we might enlarge the borders of the kingdom. Give us a passion to serve. Lord, we thank you for everything you do. We ask you to go with us as we leave here and keep us safe. And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, let us come together one more time and give you the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.